Welcome to the Lundahl Project Horse Podcast. We're documenting our own journey as up-and-coming professional horsemen and using past experiences and mistakes we've learned from to give tips and advice and hopefully bring value to others. We don't claim to know everything or have all the answers, but we're willing to share our experience and what we've learned thus far on our horsemanship journey. Thank you for joining us. All right, let's get right into our first segment here. And this is something that Luke and I have been kind of going over ever since we started the podcast of how best to structure this thing. And we were filming some podcast, like little mini segments or what we call podcast extras yesterday. And we ended up deciding what we're doing here is we're talking about subjects that honestly should be in their own more fleshed out segments in the real podcast. And so what we're going to do is make the regular podcast like your typical podcast. It's going to be longer, but we're going to have more frequent, shorter podcast extra segments and other things produced as we go. So hopefully we've got enough distinction there. And we're also going to break down the podcast itself into three sections because we've had some criticism on this already. And we knew it was going to be a problem going in as far as how we're positioned and what audience we're targeting for. And we talked about it in our pilot. We're targeting up-and-coming aspiring horsemen, people who are more at a foundation level in their horsemanship and want to get better, uh, who are interested in learning more advanced horsemanship stuff and you know how to get to that level that feel like they're kind of stuck in the foundation or the fundamentals and want to break out and move on and do fun stuff. And then the aspiring, like the young trainers like ourselves out there as well. I think we have a lot of really good, valuable insights that we can relate to both of those types of people but we've already been gotten some feedback of people who say well you guys are in your Q&A recently you've been talking about stuff that's really advanced like this is just too much for me to take in etc so we want to cover all the bases and make more of an effort to have a diverse range of subjects we talk about both foundational and fundamental as well as more advanced and so we're going to break the podcast into three segments this first segment, we're going to talk more about foundational, sort of fundamental training issues, and then more intermediate stuff in the second segment. And then the third segment, we're going to talk about more refinement or advanced subjects. So hopefully that format works a little bit better, and we'll just keep testing and keep trying new stuff as we go. So let's get right into the first segment here. We're going to start off talking about something that's come up a lot recently in Q&A, stuff that people have messaged us and asked us directly. Um, and that is, you know, a lot of their questions have brought up in our mind the importance of getting a young horse, any horse really, but especially when they're young, getting that horse loped out a lot under saddle, setting the tone for that horse's career. We talk about that a lot with young horses. It applies to older horses as well, whether you're retraining them, tuning them up, etc. Um, we've had a couple questions asked directly on social media in the last few days that really underscore the importance of, of getting a horse freed up mentally and physically. 
Um, so I'm just going to, unless you have anything to add to that here, I'm just going to chime in and, and get right to the Q&A, and then we'll kind of dissect it as yeah, we go. Yeah, no, not, not too much. I mean, you and I have both had the opportunity to kind of see both sides of the spectrum as far as, you know, getting horses loped out, especially in the start of their career. And we've gotten to experience programs where loping is like the center of the program and everything revolves around that. And we've gone to programs where, you know, after the horse moves out of the round pen, it's three, two, three weeks of just jogging before going into the loping. We've gotten to see kind of both extremes and, you know, getting to see the product that both put forth, there is... There is no match for really having a solid foundation as far as a young horse teaching it to get loped out and teaching it to understand that gate and just do it freely without issue. Yeah, there's a lot of value in getting especially a young horse to lope consistently, confidently, lope him a lot. Uh, let him develop cadence at the lope or the canter, whatever you want to call it. Like, in, from our perspective, that's essential. And as you mentioned, we've been around programs where that's not really focused on much, and we've seen a lot of problems come of that. Absolutely. And here's a, a Q&A, and like I said, this has come up a bunch, um, but we have another question here that's very typical and I think provides some good insights. It's, hi, I adopted a 12-year-old rescue horse who's reasonably quiet and has decent ground manners. I know nothing about her background, so I did a week of groundwork and preparation under saddle. She was very rusty, but there were no major red flags, so I felt pretty confident to get on. I had another person on the ground to help me flag her around the round pin, and we did our first ride. The problem was, I could barely get her to go forward, let alone canter around. She either stands still in one spot and completely ignores you, or just zigzags around at the walk. In fact, when I put more pressure on her to get her to move out faster, she trotted a few steps forward and then kicked up with both hind legs and stopped moving. How do I get this mare to go forward. I don't know what I should do. Well, I'll say one thing right off the bat. <laughs> sounds like a sweetheart. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this horse sounds like a real cupcake to me. Um, but honestly, we've seen a lot of like this typical, this is like a stereotypical scenario that plays out of, you know, and this horse being a 12 year old, being a rescue horse, whether it's that scenario or it's a two year old, like especially in those first couple rides, it is essential to get that horse's feet and mind loosened up. Get them moving out, get them cantering around the round pin. And the first thing that struck out me was not just that, but the fact that the person on the ground wasn't really helping us enough in this situation. Like, no, that's, yeah, that's their, their job. I mean, literally the person on the ground, that first ride, really there's just a person on the horse's back that, but the rider has very little as far as control of forward, turn, stop. It's almost like you're doing a round pinning exercise and there just happens to be someone on the horse's back. It's all the person on the ground. The person on the ground is the gas pedal exactly. of the entire and situation. And the fact that they couldn't get this horse going, it's not so much that this the problem is here under saddle. But if you have a person on the ground flagging you and you aren't getting this thing loping, it's because this horse has had a very, you know, it said that there was a week of groundwork leading up to this. But if you're not able to have this horse move off at the canter with energy when you point and spank the ground even, um, how do you expect to have it handle that with a rider on its back? I mean, it all goes back to just the foundation. This horse... Riding this thing is the least of its worries, honestly. Yeah. It needs to get this thing, all the cobwebs blown out of the system, get it loped out 
just on the ground first. Go back and all the steps that led up to this, that week of preparation, go back and start over and do that same preparation. And I'd probably do two weeks of it because you've got a 12-year-old rescue horse here. So who knows what baggage it brings to the table. Exactly. But go back, start over at the beginning and be so much more methodical and picky about what you're expecting from this horse. Because obviously, you know, everything, all these problems here, are just you know symptoms they're not really the root cause which is you didn't really put the foundation on this thing on the ground that it needed to have a successful ride I mean your job when you're getting this thing ready when you're preparing it on the ground to be ridden you're trying to dig out the potential problems and holes and you're trying to you know like people will say get bucked off on the ground I mean that's your job you're trying to make sure that everything is as prepared as possible so when you go ride and you turn it over to the person on the ground, that horse knows what to do. You set it up well, so you've kind of simulated so many situations that the ride only has one way to go, which is successfully. Absolutely. And we were when we were talking about this before off uh, camera, before we started recording, you mentioned something I thought was funny and a little ironic. You said, you know, it's it's hard for us to even say this because we spend so much time telling people with nine-year-old geldings <laughs> yeah. who've been stuck in the foundation level groundwork stage for years and in order to get their horse warmed up they go to the damn round pin like it's we spend almost all of our time telling people to get out of the round pin and get moving <laughs> do something else for god's sake but in this case this horse needs to go back to the round pin and bare minimum have an intense two weeks of groundwork where you're getting his feet moving light a fire under his tail and free those feet up and then when you get uh you mentioned when you do get under saddle and you have someone in there helping you flag this thing around the round pin like light a fire under their tail as well yes, you need to have like a you know pre-super bowl type of a of a chat you know like a a john harbaugh just ass ripping like you know you're your life as a rider is in the hands of that person on the ground that first ride. It's up to them to make sure that things go well. Yes. They're in charge of shutting the horse down if, if things go bad. I mean, you're you're a bit helpless in a way because you there's only so much you can do to pull the reins around or, or stop the horse or whatever. It's up to the person on the ground to control all of this. And number one most important on a young horse or a horse that you don't know if it's been ridden before is that first ride, you need to get on it move it around high end front end a little bit to make sure it understands there's something on its back but then you need to spiral it out of that and get it loping you you know you might jog a couple circles around the round pin and disengage that hip here and there just to make sure you can turn it loose and then come back to me but your main priority is to get through that and get loping as soon as possible because you don't want to give this thing you know 30 minutes to walk and jog around and think is there something on my back is there something on my back? Should I be worried about what's on my back? And then there's this massive, you know, break in half blow up. Yeah. You need to get this thing loping, get it paying attention to that, get its mind off of you and onto its job in order for that ride to go successfully. Yeah. In order to get everything to, for lack of a better term, to get the juices flowing the right way mentally uh, and just have this experience be a safe one, as safe as possible, whether it's, you know, in the context of colt starting or starting a green horse like this that you don't know much about, it's essential. You've got to get forward motion. You've got to get those feet moving and you can't, you know, and this is where we've seen problems happen with people who want to 
be easy on horses or especially like greener horsemen that don't understand how crucial this is to get done uh, and how if you don't get it done, it sets such a sour tone for the rest of that horse's career. Um, we've seen this time and again where, you know, someone will get on that either they're lacking confidence, they don't really know what they're doing, or they don't have, they don't go in there with purpose and get on, get the bare minimum done, make sure you're in control and this thing's not going to go crazy with you being up there and then get those feet moving, get forward motion. Like that's the entire point. And, you know, we've seen people where the horse is being sticky footed, they've not done enough preparation and they run into a little, what we would call a minor issue or a tell that they've skipped something in their preparation where, you know, that horse is kind of being sticky, you might kick out at them a little bit when they go to spank him on the hind end and get him going. And they kind of back off and retreat in order to try to diffuse the situation and not work through that and get that horse's feet going like forward motion is the a number one priority and we've seen it so often where people who are green or who lack confidence will kind of dither in that round pin and just not go anywhere and meanwhile the horse is like the information and all the signals is being downloaded into their brain like okay if i just stand here be resistant be sticky footed uh, just kind of start dicking around and looking off for things to spook at. I guess that's what we do. Like they just, they don't know anything else. You haven't set the tone in any other way. Uh, and that's just the behavior patterns that you start to create. And we've seen not only that occur, but we've been on the receiving end of a lot of those malformed products where people didn't get horses moving out at the beginning of their career, barely did any loping. And then you have horses that can't lope confidently, they have no conception of cadence or rhythm, they're not confident to lope on a loose rein, or they just be, they're so sold up and sticky footed and just refusal to move out in general that they're kicking up, they're pinning ears, they're being sour, they're sitting there swishing their tail and kind of curling up in a ball and hopping around instead of just loping out and moving out and covering ground, going somewhere and freeing up. They're just so mentally and physically sticky. We've seen that a lot in training horses, etc. Exactly. And, you know, it's important to point out here that, you know, we're not going out to try and find someone to tar and feather but we're real passionate about this, especially this question, because it really is a safety issue yes. here. Like the this horse first ride, jogging around and walking around the round pen, zigzagging around and then jogging a few steps and kicking out with both hind legs and then stopping. Like all of this stuff here is, I mean, they flirted with, with disaster like they were right there on the line they didn't even know how close they were to a potential situation going bad really fast like yes. this is this is a safety issue which is why we're so passionate about you know trying to hammer home the importance of getting this thing moved out on the ground getting everything loosened up and freed up the fact that it kicked out when it jogged which i assume the person on the ground probably spanked it on the hindquarters which is why it kicked out the fact that it's still doing that you does not means that you shouldn't even have considered riding it at this point because obviously you didn't everything checked out that week of groundwork because you didn't expose it to enough pressure it is you just kind of well it's given me this so i'm just going to stay with that no you didn't go out of your way to say okay 
I'm going to be on your back. That is a high pressure situation. That For this horse here, that's about as high pressure as he's ever known. Have someone on his back and have to go around. So you need to try and recreate that on the ground. And by that I mean when I, when I point, it's let's go. You've got somewhere to go. Like put that pressure on him and see what happens. If I, if I spank you on the hindquarters, are you going to say, oh, I'm sorry, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, and I'm going to hustle out? Or is he going to say, up yours and, and kick out at you? What, the, what's going on there? And it all comes back to just not setting this horse up for success and not exposing it to the level of pressure necessary, rather just kind of coasting along with it because everything seemed fine. Well, you know, it was really just a wolf in sheep's clothing in a way. You have to pressure the horse to figure out, okay, is this... Is this a costume? Is there a wolf underneath there? Or is this really a sheep I'm dealing with? <laughs> yeah. But until you expose them to that pressure, you don't know what you've got. And that theme has played out so much uh, in just our careers and working for and with other people. We've seen that theme come up so often, even outside the context of loping a two-year-old colt or a rescue horse in the round pin. Like, we're such big believers, whether you're retraining an older horse like this or especially setting the tone for the career of a young horse, um, you've got to teach them how to handle pressure. And this is like the key, like there's probably, if you look at the horse's overall training and development from, from when you start them as a colt or whatever onto the finished product, you could probably look at their career as a series, you know, it's like a long, steady climb, but there's certain areas in there that are like big hurdles that they have to get over both mentally and physically if you want to advance to the next level you know you're it's a constant uphill struggle and then every so often there's like a really important like keystone that you have to set in place before you can move on and this would probably be the first one that you could say that you come to in developing any horse really is that in that entire theme of getting them to accept and handle pressure getting them freed out freed up and getting them moved out and getting them to canter confidently and doing that a lot in those early stages sets the tone physically for them being able to handle that pressure and also mentally and you know going back to what i've said before we've seen horses that like in this case best case scenario this doesn't go wrong like we've seen it happen to where somebody gets hurt and that's, you know, obviously this person lived to tell the tale of what happened, <laughs> yes. so that's good. But the best case scenario is you just taught that, you just set the tone and started the wheels in motion for this horse to be really sour, really sold up, not want to go anywhere. And, you know, we've seen people let that sort of thing develop in a horse to where their psyche and everything, not just them physically not want to lope, but they just mentally get even more like molasses and just even more sour and just even more reluctant to do things like they that problem just festers. It's like a cancer in their mindset going forward. And if you don't if you don't get that worked out of them early on, you'll end up with a horse that just doesn't want to go anywhere is just sour about whatever pressure you put on them. You know, um, we've seen that play out time and again. And so, again, it's not a well it's mainly a safety issue for sure and first and foremost but it's also an issue of setting the tone for this horse's career and we're very passionate about that so we're not singling this person out again this ha this isn't even the worst case of something along these lines that we've seen we've seen far worse but this is a very stereotypical example of what we're talking about uh, and when we stress the fact of getting a horse loped out a lot under saddle early on
Alright, let's get into the second segment here. More of a, I would say, in sort of an intermediate type training discussion. Um, kind of building on what we just talked about, which was the importance of getting a horse loped out a lot, getting a horse to lope confidently, develop cadence, be relaxed, and be able to canter confidently. Um, but every so often, and this has come up in Q&A and different posts we've seen on forums as well, you'll have horses that simply lack that crucial part of their foundation and and you know where to the point where they're so out of control and so unbroke that trying to cruise that horse around either in the round pin or on a loose mainly on a loose rein in the arena which is the key building block stage even trying to do that can be dangerous um and you know we've had like a question here for example um, hi, I have a barrel horse that I'm retraining. We've been making progress, but I still have a major issue with him wanting to lope super fast and drop his shoulder in. He gets really stiff and pushy on the bridle when this happens. I can't really lope him on a loose rein because he's ducking and diving all over the place. I've tried turning him the opposite way when he does this, but it hasn't gotten much better. And we've seen that sometimes where, you know, whether it's barrel horse that someone's retraining or it's like an off-the-track thoroughbred or a horse that's really hot and crazy uh, and key point they they didn't get that foundation stage laid they didn't get that foundation set of a lot of loping in their career so they have no confidence they're just running around mindlessly ducking and diving to the point where well we've seen it and it's happened to us you know they're dive to the point where they slip right out from under you or something stupid like that exactly and it's you know this question as far as what you just mentioned about the horse being set up early in its career for this problem if you look at the like the project horse series with tangle and luther that's a there's a perfect example there of like what the yin and the yang or the two opposites like yes tangle has her her career she was all of her training had been for a one specific purpose and so getting her just broke and all of the little you know foundation parts of it those were kicked to the side because that didn't immediately look like it was affecting her long-term goal. Luther, on the other hand, had the massive, massive amount of focus, really all the attention put on the foundation and getting that broke loose, re, you know, training those good mental patterns. And you can just see the difference in the horses and what it takes now for me as far as retraining Tangle. And that's really what it is. Like I have retrained Tangle and progress luther is kind of where we're at right now and this is a perfect situation and not to single anybody out here but we do see this a lot with barrel horses and probably in a lot of rope horses too yeah, yeah. Um, where the training is focused around okay this is going to be a barrel horse and so all the training from day one has to be what do i need to do when i'm running that pattern and getting it broke, getting it loped out and quiet and soft and broke loose and supple and all of that looks nothing like the end result, what this horse needs to do. And so it's all kicked to the side because I'd rather immediately just start working on the, the pieces to the actual pattern and just with time, it should hopefully take form and the horse's just natural talent and ability will take over rather than, well, let's put the 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 end goal to the side for six weeks get this thing super broke and then come back and 
the horse will be so far ahead is not even funny. Exactly. And I've known people that start barrel horses, especially, who do a good job with that and do take the time to lay the lay a correct foundation. Yes. But just like other performance horse disciplines, whether it's reining or cow horse, there's other people who just don't put much of a focus there. Right. And oftentimes, if the horse is good-minded or talented enough, the, the lack of foundation and the problems that causes won't show up for... A while, you know, that it kind of rears its ugly head down the line when these bad patterns and bad mental habits are well established to where you have problems like this, where you can't even lope around the arena anymore. Like we've seen that with reining horses. We've seen that with horses in other disciplines yes. where they're so bad you cannot lope a circle. <laughs> they're just that freaking terrible, yeah. man. Yes. And uh and so Anyway, in, in trying to fix this particular horse, this is a good little training insight, I guess, because we've obviously worked with a lot of people with similar issues. And if you have such a lack of control, telling someone like this, well, your horse isn't loping confidently, so you need to go lope him more. That's not the right answer at this point. That was the right answer in the beginning of this horse's career. It's not the right answer now. We have to approach this a little bit differently. And Hugh had some really good things to say on this um, as far as, you know, what you can do uh, on the fence yeah. just, just to get a starting point with this thing. Well, I think it comes down to, you know, and that's kind of the reason that you singled out this question, isn't it? Because a lot of the advancers you were getting were, well, you need to get this thing just loped out, turn it loose, and just let it go. Yes. And a horse like this that's ducking and diving its shoulder and, you know, weaving all over the place looks like Floyd Mayweather in the boxing ring. <laughs> You're not going to be able to do this, and especially when it's, it's running off. The thing is running blindly, and it's ducking and diving and racing back to different parts. Of the, like it's trying to escape life and just pressure in general. So it's darting around the arena, look, you know, running to different corners, back to the gate, looking for that release of pressure. And a horse like that, that is kind of running half blind like that, they're going to stop and turn so quick. They're not going to pay attention to their own feet. And we've seen this, you know, I don't know how many times now, you know, of a horse that turns so sharp and they drop that shoulder so bad and they roll that rib cage over that they just their feet just get swept right out from underneath of them they fall down you know most of the times we've seen it the rider's been lucky enough that they kind of fell off as the horse was falling and so it didn't land on their leg yeah but that is a very real possibility and so a horse that's this bad and i would also say well some people say well widen your hands and hold on to its face and you know line it out well then what i say to that is you're not making the horse mentally responsible for that speed or direction you're covering it up by holding him yes in place. and that's i hate to jump in but that is something that drove me absolutely insane when i saw this question <laughs> which is why i picked it is because there's so many good angles out of this and yes there was two schools of thought that were really represented and nobody was really i don't think understanding the key issue you had the side of people who were saying to this person well, clearly this horse lacks foundation, so I would just uh, go back to square one, and you know, and like I like how you had the the voice <laughs> and have like no consideration of the horrible problems that this horse has, and the way that it's moving, and the honestly, probably in this case, a good example, the danger that that out of controlness can pose, and then you have the school of thought of people who say, well. 
you know, quit being a wussy. Just <laughs> hold on to them there. Just get them lined out. And th- that doesn't address the other core issue with this horse, which is this thing does not know how to take responsibility for its own speed and direction. So, yes, we want to do that. We Whatever we do with this horse, we want to teach it to have more responsibility for its speed and direction, not just immediately offer speed and to bolt off and snatch the bit and just go where it wants. However, getting in this thing's face at this stage and trying to manhandle it around will not solve the court, the, the deep-rooted issues here. Neither will putting it on a loose rein and just letting it scream around mindlessly. So do I have to do the voice for my opinion here, or no? That's not. No, you don't have to do the characterization, and maybe that was a little bit unfair. But it, it made me kind. Of, it kind of irked me a little bit because we see that so much, right? You know. <laughs> well, I would say for you know, and again, this is the horse industry. Everyone's full of opinions, so you take you know what works for you and what doesn't. But for me, in this situation, the way I'd attack this problem is use the fence to my advantage. So he only has so many places that he can go. He can either bolt straight, he can turn into the fence, or he can turn away from the fence. And that's it. And so that's all. So I can minimize the amount of things that I need to control. And I would go and I would do this wherever his strongest magnet is. If it's his, his buddies out in the pasture on one side of your arena, or if it's back at the gate, whatever, I'd use that also to my advantage. And I'd do this over there. And I would just put him up along the fence and just lope him off. One hand on the reins, one hand on the horn, whatever, you know, however confident of a rider you are. But pitch him away on a loose rein, which is key. He's got to be on a loose rein. From there, you're daring him to make the decision. And in doing that, he'll eventually understand that he is responsible for, you know, the reaction from you because of his decision making. You're so, forcing him to choose whether or not to stay on the fence. Exactly. Personally. And just lope him off, let him follow that fence around the arena, which he will do for maybe a half a stride before he leaves the, the fence. And so if he turns away from the fence, all you do then is you just tip his nose and however long it takes, you know, if he if he runs off when he feels the, the pressure in his mouth or whatever, you just tip his nose, pull him around, and stay there until he commits to that turn. Once he commits to turning and going the other way, pitch him way on again a loose rein and get him loping. You don't care just, how fast it is. You just need to get him loping so off. So you're trying to put the horse on the fence on a loose rein, but if he comes off the fence, you're immediately rolling him back into the fence. You're doing a rollback on the fence and making him go the other way. Right. You're, you're basically almost what you're trying to do is when you pitch him away, if he stays along that fence, you don't touch him as long as he stays within a reasonable speed. The only time you touch him is if, A, he either tries to turn into the fence or away from the fence. If he turns into the fence, you just need to turn him back straight and get him moving forward again. Mm-hmm. If he turns off the fence, you just roll him back into the fence, go the other way, get him loping. But as soon as you get him loped off, got to be on a loose rein. The only other time, if he was on the fence, the only other time that I would turn him into the fence and shut him down and go the other way is if he tries to run off and build speed. You don't want to wait till he's at the max and then try and slow him down. So if he lopes off and he builds a little bit of speed but not too bad, 
I'm going to go with that because I want to see if he's going to try and build further. But if he just starts building, 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 then I'm going to shut it down because that just gives me look at every time he makes a mistake, whether it tries to run off or turn off the fence. That just gives you another opportunity to redirect his feet, a.k.a. engage him mentally. And you're doing it over there by the fence or I mean, sorry, by the gate where he wants to be. So you're like killing two birds with one stone. You're teaching him, hey, every time that I that I just duck back and try and circle back to the fence or every time I try and run off and escape life and pressure in general, she redirects me into the fence, you know, makes me do a rollback, which is a difficult maneuver. And then I have to hustle back the other way. And eventually the, the horse is going to start to learn. And this is not going to take one session. Like you're going to have to work on this, get it a little bit better, then let the horse take him over to the opposite end of the arena let him rest and maybe tie him up for a half hour, 45 minutes, and then ride him again. And this horse almost needs a two-a-day program for a while. But eventually the horse is going to start to realize that every time that it maintains its speed and doesn't leave that fence, you leave it alone. Mm -hmm. From that, to get that even another stage better, and again, the reason we're using the fence here is because you minimize the amount of ducking and weaving and you know potentially falling down all that stuff you minimize that and you're using the fence as like a guide so it gives the horse a little something to follow like you ever notice when you take a horse out on the trail you know like we'll be out riding and you know some deep thick grass or something out in a pasture and there's a tractor that's driven through there and it's matted down the grass horses will naturally follow a little path like that they'll follow it so you have the the fence alongside you as kind of a little Many, you know, you're planting the seed in the back of their mind that, hey, I kind of would like you to follow this here. And it, it's not going to connect Im immediately, but you have it there as kind of a little bit of a, a buffer system yeah. to help you get this solved. It's kind of like mental training wheels. Like you're, exactly. you're sort of giving the horse an outline of where to follow, and you're just taking away another source of confusion. Whereas if you were just going around randomly in the arena, then that's just making the horse more confused, more crazy, etc. Like you're, you've kind of got a point to this when you stay right. on the fence. And it's not only is it good for the horse mentally, but it's good for you as the rider mentally because you can see the fence right there next to you, and you know, okay, I've got some to help me if this horse goes too fast or ducks to the inside, I can pull it back into the fence, and so that's going to give you more confidence as a rider to pitch that horse away on a loose rein when you do lope him off. Exactly. And then, you know, a lot of people also in that same uh, in response to that same post were talking about, well, you need to bend this horse around a lot more, soften it up, do more shoulder control. And while you'd probably be flirting with disaster if you tried to do that initially, doing those rollbacks on the fence is a good way to break the ice in a way that is going to start, you know, getting some transitions in there, getting this horse to mentally slow down. And then you can finally introduce what's called bending rollbacks or where you take the horse around, but you actually soften them up a little bit. Right. And start. that's kind of what I was alluding to about taking this to another step Yeah, is if you go to start a horse like this that's ducking and diving and really stiff on the bridle, you know, aka if he's grabbing the bridle and running off, he's really stiff through the rib cage, shoulders, rib cage, and hindquarters. But you know what? I wouldn't start it with a horse like this out in the open like that because you have to spiral him down every time you try to bend him around because he's already running off and the chance of him slipping and falling out from underneath you is fairly high. But once you've done some of this up and down the fence rollbacks and you've started to get some results, then I would almost start weaning him into a little bit of softening that rib cage by taking a hold of him when he leaves the fence or let's say speeds up and runs off, 
you take a hold of him, roll him back into the fence, and then instead of releasing the rein and letting him go the other way, bend that that nose around your toe and soften that rib cage around your leg at the walk. Get it, stay there a few circles, whatever, until you feel him soften up. Then head back the opposite direction at the lope, and you tease him onto that suppling, that suppling that rib cage during this rollback exercise. Yeah. Eventually, you'll be able to go do it out in the open, but you need to set yourself up for success by using that fence to help you introduce this stuff, so you don't have in, so you have something to fall back on when you do go out in the open. Yes, and that sort of method there of of starting off with some rollbacks on the fence and then transitioning in, into bending rollbacks it's not a shortcut no. by any means it's tough like we've had horses where literally every wa- every ride will be that for a week until we finally had enough control to where we could move off the fence more consistently and do other stuff uh and we'll talk about that in, in a second but so it's not a shortcut but that exercise is extremely effective. It, is, it almost hacks the horse's brain a little bit and starts in a horse that ha- is, has a terrible foundation. It's a very effective way to get inside that horse's head and, and start teaching him a little bit better mental habits of, hey, when I, say, when I take a hold of you and say, come here, you need to honor that, slow your feet down, slow your body down, and follow your nose. You know, go where I say, but then when I pitch you away, you know, you've got you've got the opportunity to choose. Are you going to run off or are you going to duck and dive or are you just going to be pleasant and take the easier route, which is to just go on the track that I've kind of set you on. And eventually the horse starts to take that option a lot more consistently and not just try to do their own thing. Because as you made the case with doing this by the gate and stuff, it's like you keep making what... The, they you let them take you where they think they want to go but you you then keep making that decision the more difficult one keep rolling them back into the fence you know every time they go to take up speed etc until the horse just kind of finally throws up the surrender flag a little bit they just become more mentally submissive when you go to especially you start doing those bending rollbacks you start teaching them hey when I take a hold of you here your instinct needs to be slow your feet down slow your mind and body down and soften. Don't just take up speed and grab the bit and run off. Don't be resistant and tight, but soften, slow down. And you start teaching those good mental habits to where when you then move off the rail and you can start doing more bending transitions out in in the middle of the arena or you know go place to place, go do some rollbacks on the fence. As you go across the arena to the next spot for rollbacks, do a bending transition here or there. You start throwing those bending transitions in with the horse now having a little more understanding of how to accept that pressure to where it's not a disaster, like they're not running off and as soon as you take a hold of them, they rip down through your hands and dive their shoulders so hard they're in danger of falling over and just generally being out of control. Um, and those, you know, using those bending transitions is a very effective tool as well. And we had a Q&A where this lady who, her horse was clearly up under a lot more control than the barrel horse lady not nearly as bad, not nearly lacking that foundation, but still kind of half-assed running off a little bit, you know, kind of grabbing the bridle and just not really wanting to lope straight, not much speed control, not rating right her seat. And so, you know, she was already doing some rollbacks on the fence and we said, you know, that's a good start, but now you can take it to the next level, start throwing more transitions in there, get that horse to just mentally slow down and come back to you a little bit more, start softening him up a little bit. Um, 
just, you know, because uh, the rollbacks are effective, but you need to then move on. Once you've kind of got that established, you then need to move on. Otherwise, you'll fall into the same trap as before where, you know, you're not really making much progress. The horse is just still kind of unbroke. But we've seen that exercise be so effective for horses with a terrible foundation. But once you get that established, you got to move on. Right, exactly. And, you know, especially this this one you just mentioned about this horse that isn't quite as bad but still has some similar issues and she's been doing some rollbacks but you have to also be creative about the way you do your rollbacks mm -hmm. you don't want to just go out in the arena and okay you want to run off and you're stiff whatever we're going to do some rollbacks today like you want to okay why is this thing running off where is it wanting to go it's probably you know sucking up to the gate or to the barn or whatever it's looking for little outs here and there well okay so use that to your advantage and say all right well let's go over there and then when you do go over there you're going to do rollbacks you're going to redirect that feet you're hustling in a tight circle redirecting it into the fence going the other way hustling those feet redirect into the fence or whatever i mean it might be the side of your barn it might be the you know the side of your house <laughs> who knows you just let it go where it thinks it wants to be and most of them as a general rule most horses are very obvious about where they want to go they don't try and hide it at all it's usually out to their run or to the pasture back to the barn or to the arena gate whatever there you know there's only very few horses we've only run across a few that had such a bad habit of trying to avoid pressure that they literally wanted to be anywhere but where they were at at that moment and so they would just suck up to things <laughs> randomly we've there's that's very rare most of the time they're always going to rat themselves out they're super honest in that respect so they're going to tell you where they want to be so then rather than just going and doing the exercise because again this is something that we're going to probably hammer time and time again this is, there's a difference between doing the exercise and doing the exercise in a way that you focus your attention on making the horse mentally responsible and mentally engaged in the exercise. And so that's where rather than just doing rollbacks there in the arena, go place to place and do rollbacks. And then like you mentioned, in between those places, when you're loping that horse on a loose rein, do a transition there. Take a hold of it, break it down to the walk or to the jog, supple that rib cage around until he's soft, turn him loose, back on a loose rein, lope him off again. Yeah. As much as we hate mindless racing around and cruising on a loose rein, we also hate just doing these exercises mindlessly with no purpose. What you just mentioned is a great example. I'd also say with the bending transitions, again, like we were telling that lady, don't try to be in his face the whole time if he's not loping straight and steer him around with both hands and make him be on a certain track. If he's leaning one way, maybe you do a bending transition the opposite. Maybe you let him take you to that little magnet of wherever it is on the fence. You do some rollbacks there, then you head to another spot. Like, be creative and smart about how you're addressing these little issues. Again, the horse just wanting to lean left, for example, as you lope across the arena instead of going straight. Most people would just want to steer it right and keep loping. You know, uh, or for example, in the earlier uh, scenario with the barrel horse, if that horse, you're trying to lope it along the fence and that horse comes off the fence, a lot of people would be tempted to just keep loping and steer it back even though it went to leave the rail. No, turn that into a transition, you know, like use that as an as kind of a teaching moment a little bit and, uh, and just get inside that horse's head a little bit more. Um, and again, it all comes back to teaching that horse to have responsibility for their speed and direction, ultimately. 
is what we're after. So just to recap, with the barrel horse with no foundation, rollbacks on the fence, great exercise, extremely effective. Take that to the next level with doing some bending rollbacks and then start going place to place or just rooting out those little magnets that it has, doing bending transitions in between, which was the step that we told the other lady uh, to go right to because her horse had a little bit more foundation. Right, but just worth noting too, that first horse, not your typical rollbacks on the fence. You're going up and down the fence trying to teach this horse just to go straight yes. and follow the fence around the arena. Yes. But the second horse, like we're talking typical rollback of loping a circle, you know, like a 50-foot circle or whatever, redirecting him into the fence and going off the other way. Yeah. Because it has a little more of a handle on it. The problems aren't as severe. And yeah. then, of course, mixing it up in between, throwing in some sort of a transition and really trying to get inside that horse's, both horses really, get inside their head. That's probably one of the biggest things that we got, that we learned when, you know, we got the, the privilege to go and, you know, learn from some people that made their living with show horses and they had to, you know, all that training is great, but when you go in the arena, you have to rely on how well that horse is mentally with you. And that was one of the biggest things that we took away from it is you have to consciously remind yourself, okay, am I doing the exercise or am I doing it in a way that I'm that I'm making this horse mentally responsible, getting him mentally engaged? And that's I mean it's it sounds like this little fairy voodoo stuff, but it's I you know, if you just go out there and every day that you're it doesn't matter what the exercise is, but if you go out there every day and say, okay, am I just doing the exercise? Am I going through the motions? Or am I trying to make this horse mentally responsible and get him better every day? If you go out there with that mindset eventually it'll click for you and you'll figure out ah you'll have that light bulb moment and you and where you'll realize okay now i'm doing this in a productive way where i'm getting this horse not just to do it but he's doing it and thinking his way through it and he's mentally engaged with me absolutely All right, so in our third segment where we talk about a little bit more advanced topics, we wanted to talk a little bit, because this is a subject that's come up recently for us, and a very good insight into our philosophy versus a lot of other people's. Again, we're not out to you know, go after people or criticize. We're still learning and building what we do and experimenting, quite honestly, with a lot of different concepts. Well, this is something that we struggled with a lot. Yes. Just like when we went back to talking about the you know, front around the rear or yield the four quarters, whatever you want to call it on the ground when we covered that topic because we were out of position all the time when we were trying to learn it and trying to figure out why. This is kind of the same thing. You know, neck reining is, was such a difficult thing to learn and trying to figure out, well, okay, why isn't this working? You know? Exactly, exactly. And we think, you know, there's, there's different ways in, of thinking about it um, and again we're not out to really criticize and stomp on people's parade but this is the way you know we, we just want to offer our experiences and what we've kind of seen exactly what experienced what works for us exactly and so for example uh, one way that get the, the neck reining and this is another thing that's that is so crucial and why we wanted to bring it up in the first place is because it's such a an area where so many vagaries and 
feel-good crap gets pumped at people who are novices, who are amateurs, who they don't have horses that are broke enough to start riding one-handed yet. They might want to get there eventually, but they don't know how to bridge the gap between what they're doing at a foundation level to finally getting to that horse to ride one-handed. And when they do go looking for resources on how to teach the horse to ride one-handed, they find a lot of stuff like, you know, people teaching, for example, look leg rein and just sticking to that dogma as kind of a surface level, well, you need to be looking the direction you're going, you need to apply your leg, and then you apply the rein, and just from doing that a bajillion times through muscle memory, the horse will start neck reining. Um, and if he doesn't follow that feel, then take a hold with two hands right away and steer him where he needs to go. Like, okay, there's a certain truth to that, especially when you're riding really green young horses and you start trying to just baby step introduce the concept of riding one-handed for the first time, you do need to help them a lot. But the problem is people start, they, they get stuck in a rut there because they don't know, you know, like the horse quickly realizes, okay, I just ignore them. They just take a hold of my face and point me the direction I'm going to go anyway. Like as soon as that person runs into resistance, they just break off from riding one-handed and just reach down as if they're riding with a snaffle bit. And a lot of people are lost and frustrated because it's like, well, this thing will just not guide one-handed consistently. Like sometimes I pick up and he's, he's on point and he's feeling that rain, but then other times he just ignores me and I end up having to reach down with two hands anyways. Well, yeah, I know me personally, you know, it was lay the neck rein, take the nose. Lay the neck rein, take the nose. And just repetition with that. Lay the rein, take the nose. Lay the rein, take the nose. Basically, loping the horse straight, let's say I want to turn left, lay the neck rein, the, the right rein, across its neck, and then when it just keeps loping straight forward, then take a hold of it with the left direct rein and pull its nose the direction I wanted to go. And just repetition. Lay the rein, take the nose. Lay the rein, take the nose. And then eventually, okay, well, you know, I think I've got this. Go put it one-handed, lope it off, steer, nothing. And here comes the fence fast approaching. And, you know, thankfully the horse is like, all right, I'm going to save this idiot. I'm just going to turn. But, you know, it was very difficult to, to try and bridge that gap between, okay, I can lay the rein, take the nose till the cows come home. But as soon as I, you know, turn him loose one-handed, well, you know, thank God for the fences. Otherwise, we just lope off into the sunset. Exactly. And we could go into a billion hours of yapping about this like typical trainers. So we won't dive <laughs> delp. We won't dive deep into things like, okay, you've got to have that horse bridle up a little bit, get him over the bridle and collected and balanced. And that's really how you get them operating well, one-handed, etc. We're just trying to stick to more basic uh, stuff that people can grasp. Right. And I think, you know, this is something that we'll need to cover extensively like yeah. with our project horse series as well so it can be put on video but i think it you know it's something that i wish i would have been able to hear or read you know when i was trying to figure this part out is laying the rain take the nose or look leg rain and as you mentioned that's all great and that's a great way to get the foundation on a horse but eventually you know, we'd, we'd always make fun of, you know, like the Westerns, the Cowboys, where they just grab the rein and just reef it around and head off, and it throws its head upside down, looks the wrong way, and lopes off. But in a, in a way, not, not that crazy, but in a way, you have to expose your horse to that 
and start to steer them and just pull them around one-handed in order to actually expose them to that. You there's yes. not you can't lay rain take the nose so much that eventually it just clicks for them. It will get better, yes, but eventually you have to pitch the horse away on a loose rein, lay that neck rein one-handed, and then when nothing happens, continue to to slide that rein back to the out to the side and a little bit back towards your hip and just keep pulling out to the side and if you need to reach down with your fingers to keep that nose from looking the wrong way and you need to physically almost pull the horse in that direction because they have to get used to that feel with just one hand steering the horse absolutely and i'll let you elaborate on this especially having worked for a, you know probably the top reigning horse trainer in the world arguably i coming from the cow horse side have a slightly different perspective especially riding bridle horses with a lot of you know riding them straight up in the bridle with romels um so but a lot of the principles the same and you that is the key issue and that's why the whole school of thought of look leg rain teach them to look where they're going just by muscle memory blah 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 it fails on its face because you never teach the horse well first of all you're just kind of putting in you're putting the ball in the horse's court on whether or not they're going to respond to that neck rain and to what degree you know and they're not always going to be consistent about that especially in a high pressure scenario or if you're showing that horse has to be able to feel you physically make contact with their mouth and accept that and kind of know the rules of the game and where they need to be going because okay you've done look like rain for a billion repetitions it's still not consistent you go to do what luke just said which is you lay that rain the horse doesn't respond like you need to you keep drawing that rain across their neck you make contact and then technically if you continue to do that, if you're riding one-handed, the outside rein is gonna make more contact with their mouth first. And so the horse's natural tendency is going to be the look, to twist their head and look to the opposite direction that you actually want their head and their feet to be going. Like if you're trying to take them left and you draw everything across their neck to the left, in a horse that doesn't know how to respond to that, when you start making contact with the mouth, they're going to tip that nose right and they're just going to be all bent out of shape. And you need to be able to, like those little sticky spots are what a lot of trainers who follow that school of thought that we just described, they hate that because in their mind, that resistance should never even come up and the horse should be so pre-programmed of when I look apply leg and start to lay the rein they should be pr so pre-programmed on where they're supposed to go that you should never even get to that stage of resistance but as we've learned riding sh horses that are actual show horses um <laughs> we've seen sort of the the how that's just very idealistic and not practical at all and you're just hiding from teaching that horse how to accept that and respond correctly you're just hiding from that potential source of problems and okay so you're you're one of the top trainers slash clinician people in the world um your horses are well bred you have a lot more time to do this through five quadrillion repetitions could you teach it that other way where you never have to touch their face and it's completely soft and everything's programmed and the horse is confident maybe but for the average person and even the average professional that does show horses and wants to do performance horses i.e go do something uh and get the job done it's not practical 
And in fact, it's just, it creates a lot of issues because you never teach the horse how to accept your hands and that contact with the mouth and soften and know what their job is supposed to be and where you're taking them. Right. And I mean, practical is the key word there. I mean, there's nothing cooler than being able to to lope a horse around that's in control and you just you just lay that just barely set that rein across one side of the neck or the other and it just you know steers around like a like a brand new you know sports car or something there's nothing cooler than that being able to do that one-handed and it all goes back to and this is something i'm sure you guys have probably heard a million times over in every other aspect or drill or exercise or whatever is one thing that you're working on does not get better without moving on to something a little bit more advanced. And then when you come back to the one thing you were working on originally, it's already gotten better without you even touching it. Well, it's the same way with this. You can lay the rein, take the nose, lay the rein, take the nose and get it pretty good, but it's not perfect. Then you go one handed and you lay that rein, nothing happens, but the horse needs to understand what that is. Like in his mind, it's a totally new thing plus you need to prepare him for like you were saying when you draw that when you continue to draw that rein one-handed across his neck he needs to understand that pull does not mean look to the outside and keep loping straight so you use your remaining like let's say the reins in my right hand and i've got my index finger in between the reins well you've got your other three fingers your middle finger ring finger and pinky finger they're available to open up and grasp that inside rein or you can even go underneath of the reins and grab the opposite rein. If you let's say it's they're in my right hand and I need to turn to the left, well then you just go underneath of the reins, grab the the left direct rein and pick up on it. And you can ball your fist up like that to control the horse's nose so they never get in a habit of looking the wrong way. But they need to be able to understand that pull to the side like that and understand it means move your shoulders move your rib cage, move your whole body over with that neck rein, do not look the wrong way. And in doing that, with repetition, you'll go back and you'll find that your lay of the rein, take the nose, it's already all that work, extra work is done for you, but it's irrelevant now because you've taught this thing how to neck rein. You know? But I think that's the biggest point we can't stress enough is it comes to a point where you have to put it one-handed lay the rein on a loose rein just lay it across his neck just a little bit like two inches that's it and then when nothing happens it's like lay the rein 1001 and then draw it to the side and then you you know take hold of the direct rein with your fist if you need to to shorten up so it doesn't look the wrong way and pull it over there you can use some outside leg to help move that shoulder if you need to but it needs to understand how to take that pull and understand move its body around rather than you always having to come back and help it with that direct rein. And I think that was one of the biggest insights I learned getting to understand this from more of a showman perspective and learning that side of the industry was it gets to a point if you want a successful one-handed horse, you need to start riding the horse as as much as you possibly can one-handed. And when you do run into problems or say it's not guiding one-handed, you need to do your absolute best to try and get in those situations. Once you're in them, get out of them 
without having to go back to your second yeah. hand. Like almost pre pretend it's not even there. When you run into those sticky spots or those those areas of resistance, do your best that you possibly can to work through it one-handed. Because that's how you get your horse neck reining really well. When you when the horse understands that whatever issue it's it's in or situation it's in, you can correct it just with that one hand and your second hand yes it's there but that's a last resort but you want to try your best to problem solve one-handed and not and not only is it going to be great for the horse teaching them how to rein and, and steer around one-handed and make that really really great but it'll make you as a rider very proficient with your hands controlling the reins yeah that's a, and that's a very overlooked issue as well. Having that control with your hands, sliding one rein up, short lengthening it, shortening up the other rein, lengthening it all one-handed, just using your fingers, and doing this is going to make you so much more proficient with your tools. Absolutely, and and when you challenge yourself to ride one-handed like that, and you take away the option, at least as much as you can, of having that little training wheel there and being able to take direct rein to bail you out of certain situations where the horse is confused. If you actually do your best to work through it and stay one-handed, you'll very quickly, out of necessity, have to develop more feel and dexterity and abilities to use your fingers, adjust the reins the correct way, etc. And you'll be more mindful of what you're doing with your legs and your body and what the horse is doing in their body and uh, being able to work through that stuff a lot more proficiently. It's difficult to describe on audio, but that's the key issue, is that so many, you know, we've been exposed to programs where that, res that potential resistance of drawing the rein across to the point where if the horse isn't responding, you make contact and they climb up out of the bridle, they get resistant, etc. We've been around programs where that result right there, or at least that sticky spot, they do their best to avoid it as much as possible, to not ever have it come up. And they just want to teach neck rein purely out of muscle memory. And it just isn't practical. I mean, obviously, like you said, the end result will kind of mimic the look-leg rein thing, where as soon as you lay the rein, the horse just automatically knows where they're going. And that's how you get a reiner in the show pen to look amazing but it's because you worked through all those resistance and you have that horse riding very confidently one-handed from early on not just waiting till their three-year-old year to finally put them in the bridle but then still schooling in the snaffle bit you know the majority of the time no get the sucker riding one-handed and i think it's important to note too as far as your your neck reining one of the biggest things that i that i learned and it was definitely one of the things i struggled with and was the most difficult is the best horses that I've ever ridden as far as neck reining around. I mean, just you fall asleep, you don't even touch them with your legs or anything. You just, you just, you know, so much as lay it across one hair and they just, all right, here's where we're going. And it, it's, you know, like uh, you've just got your Uber driver and he's just taking you, just all right, turn up there and they just do it. You know, you don't have to put in any effort whatsoever. All of those horses, the one thing that they have in common, and comparing that to horses that weren't quite so good, is in order to have a really, really good neck reining horse, and this is something that Luther will probably get into some of this as well. <laughs> we'll see about Tangle, who knows? But Luther, I want to cover this, you know, and hopefully put this into a visual form, is you have to give up some of that lateral softness and vertical softness, and you have to just let them hang that neck out there and not be so obsessive 
about when you lay that rain, they like bend their head to like a 45 and yeah. stare to the inside of the circle. Like you, they need to look in, yes, but they need to hang that neck out there. It makes it gives them a pretty look, and you cannot have them where you lay that rain and then they're hanging in limbo like do i go around to the toe am i here am i straight am i bent what do i do and then they're they're just stuck hanging here in no man's land you need to have them confident and you have yes it comes in the form of feeling a little bit stiff but you've gotten you should have your foundation good enough up to that point where you can afford to let some of that lateral softness and suppleness go and in turn it's like a trade-off you let a little bit of that lateral suppleness go and in turn you get a horse that stays very straight and very relaxed and you can steer around one-handed and so you can do less and the horse will do more but you can't kind of have both at the same time you can't have one that's uber bendy and uber soft and disappearing from your hands when you take a hold of him or you slide your hand down the rein and he's on your toe by the time your hand gets to the end of the rein yeah you're not going to be able to turn that into a good neck reining horse and keep that level of suppleness. You have to let some of that go so that he can just relax and hang out there. Exactly, exactly. You can't have the horse riding two-handed and and to the point where you pick up and you feel air, and yet the horse is so programmed that he knows exactly where to be. He's snapping his neck around your toe instantly like, and just reading your thoughts without you ever having to make contact with his mouth or ever having to be anything other, th other than extremely subtle in cueing him. Like, you can't take that feel that you create two-handed and then expect that to feel the same riding the horse one-handed straight up in the bridle. Like, And that's not even what you want anyways. And obviously, you know, reining perspective is a little... A lot of things translate, but I'll just cap this off with one perspective just from a cow horse level or whether it's cow horses whether it's whether you're doing stock horses team pinning ropers like really anything performance oriented especially that's cow work related um the only thing i would i would say doesn't qualify is cutting where you specifically need to put your hand down and not ever have contact but you know working cow horse great example you're traveling at speed, going down the fence. This cow, there's a lot of variables of what can happen. You need to be able to pick up on that horse with one rein, tell him where to be, and he goes there now. Like, you can't be hauling ass down the fence and expect him to rate your seat and, and feel that neck rein just touch his neck, and then he just automatically responds without you touching his face or doing anything else more dramatic and slows down from you know, light speed to making a soft stop and turn and go the way that you want. Like, there gets to be a point with any horse where, and reiners as well, but especially in this case, you need to be able to pick up on them and put them where they need to be, and they go there. And not be confused about where they're being or, you know, hanging their head out to the outside or trying to climb up it, up out of the bridle because you never taught them how to accept that pressure. Well, I it's think like, it comes down to you don't want them to, to, when you take a hold of them or you lay that rein or cue them, you don't want them to start hunting for where they need to be. That was the biggest thing yes. for me when I, I was told, um, okay, well, you need, you know, the biggest change here with my program is I, I don't want them that soft and have that much lateral suppleness because it bites us in the ass when we go one-handed. I was like, uh-huh, yeah, sure, well, I can work around that, you know. But, and sure enough... Going one-handed, I would lay that rein, and 
you know, they would disappear from my hands and they would think, oh, are you, are you bending to the right? I'm like, no, I want you to steer to the left. Come on, you're not making me look real good right now. Like you get, you end up with them feeling that pressure. And then because you don't, aren't there to save them two-handed, they start searching and they're lost. Or then yes. let's say I turn the horse to the left and, you know, he's, he softens to the inside and he's, I'm arced to the left. Well, now I want to come across the middle and change leads. Well, I need you to kind of come back and look to the right now. Like they get stuck in places like that exactly. and they search and they hunt and it comes back to bite you in the ass when you try and do it one handed. Absolutely. And this is, I'm going to say one last thing and this is going to sound a little bit cringy, uh, especially well, we if make anything else leading up to this hasn't, <laughs> especially because we make a lot of points to be like, you know, this isn't some fairy tale voodoo crap here that we're going on. And it's hard to not talk about this without mentioning something abstract but really what your ultimate goal is and this is where so many people have a misconception neck rain isn't about technically it's not about teaching muscle memory it's not about teaching the horse to anticipate everything you're doing actually kind of the opposite the key word for neck reining is you want the horse to be completely honest that'd probably be the the key word there honest meaning that you can Take that hand and place them on whatever track you need them to be on and they go willingly, but yet not anticipating and just taking matters into their own hands. They're completely pliable and just open to whatever you're suggesting next and not trying to jump the gun, throw their own ideas in there, or just outright resist. They're just honest. They're just there. They're just like a car that you take a hold of and you place it, you steer it, and when you stop, it stops. It doesn't offer to go left or right. Like it's just there, ready, waiting for orders. And riding a horse that will do that for you. I honestly wish that everyone out there could go to like a top show horse barn and get on a really good bridle horse and just ride for five minutes and just get to feel that if they haven't ever done that before, just get to feel it once and you'll know what we're talking about. It's, you know, trying not to get into the the voodoo. Ooh, this is so mystical and magical. It's too late for that. But, <laughs> but honestly, like we talked about, so many people get stuck in the two-handed mode of, of just a lot of moving parts. They have to do everything. And just having a horse, and it all goes back to having that horse take responsibility, you know, have a, a horse that's that just broke and just open to what you're doing and just ready to go where you place him um i mean that's that's the ultimate right there you know it's such a great feeling to have that absolutely, and absolutely. i wish more people could experience that and the only way again the only way you're going to get there if you're training the horse yourself is you've got to start riding one-handed You've got to You've start got to challenge yourself, challenging you know. yourself. Yes. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to be coordinated with your reins. I know that when I first, you know, got introduced to that, I mean, I, I felt like I all the previous, you know, experience that I had leading up to that had all gone out the window. I couldn't control my reins. One was always getting way too long. Like that left rein is my sworn enemy. It was always Same just here. lengthening itself out on its own. And so, but you have to go through that ugliness and just push through it, laugh about it, and just tell yourself it it get it can only get better from here. And you have to kind of 
push yourself outside the comfort zone. There's nothing wrong with, you know, like you mentioned, you know, a two-handed mode. That's absolutely essential. But this pertains to a horse that you want to take to another level of finesse that you have to force yourself, okay, I've I've, you know, used training wheels long enough. Eventually you gotta take them off and ride the bike. And you you may fall a few times when you ride that bike now. That doesn't mean you immediately go back because you fell because because Johnny fell once doesn't mean you immediately go throw the training wheels back on. No. Let him get up and try again. I mean he made it, you know, 30 feet before he fell so obviously he had a little bit of balance and the next time he makes it you know 45 feet and just you know embrace the ugliness event because that doesn't mean that it was immediate failure it means you have to work through that learning curve and eventually it will click but you have to be comfortable about letting it fall apart and pushing outside what you're used to and what you think is the norm in order to get better absolutely the quickest way and best way to stay in a rut forever is the second you run into resistance or you know start struggling a little bit and trying to ride that horse one-handed now finally uh, you know with the understanding that you've done enough preparation that this example makes sense you know let's just say for the sake of argument you've done enough preparation you start trying to ride this horse one-handed trying to get to the next level the moment you run into resistance you go back to schooling him two-handed you know, like we've been exposed to programs and there are trainers out there who their three-year-old show horses and even their older derby horses, they'll still school three or four days a week in a snaffle. And it just never gets those horses finally over that final step in their training to where they're just confident about riding one-handed in the bridle. They're just always having to fall back on those training wheels. Things are always falling apart. They just never finally take that final last step to get to the top. And that is something, again, that we try to avoid in our program. Again, that's just our perspective. There's a lot of different ones out there, um, but that's the way that we see it. Right. And I just, you know, in closing, especially on this topic, I just want to, you know, to anyone that, you know, that is wanting to do something like this, like this neck reining, and have a horse at that, you know, that's their dream goal, to ride it one-handed or whatever. I I just challenge you to open, you know, let yourself be open to stepping outside your comfort zone and trying this. I remember myself, you know, coming up and, and learning this stuff. There was a point in myself where I was sworn to a smooth snaffle. I thought that... All those other, I see on all these magazines, these guys doing these sliding stops and spins, and they've got this shank bridle, and I'm like, oh, they just don't get them broke enough. They, you know, it's a smooth snaffle is where it's at. And I just challenge you just to allow yourself to step outside that comfort zone if you are stuck in that sort of a mentality, because it's something that I know myself I was stuck in, and just give it, just give it a try, give it a little bit of time, and mm -hmm. just see what you can work through with that because i mean the, the end result if you are consistent with it is something that you'll really really enjoy it's a really cool feeling yep it's pretty amazing how these people out there especially on the internet that aren't even professionals themselves they swear that if you can't get the job done in a smooth snaffle or a hackamore that you're not a good horseman and i dare you to start trying to get your horse riding better one-handed and you will quickly figure out that it's not so easy to get them up over the bridle and operating the correct way. It's not so easy to get them really guiding well one-handed. 
And, you know, maybe those show horse trainers actually do have a point in the way that they ride and then the equipment that they use. And I would just challenge you to, to understand that there's a time and a place for a lot of lateral softness and it's extremely valuable. But then there's a time to put the pieces together, have a horse that will run straight and true and collected and operate well and stop and turn one-handed willingly and softly. All right, so I realize this has gone longer than our previous podcasts, and if you're still listening, we sincerely appreciate it. Hopefully this was valuable to you. And I just wanted to have a brief discussion to cap this off about the next platform that we're going to be joining. There's a website out there, they have an app as well, called Anchor.fm. The app itself is called Anchor, and it's a podcasting app where it kind of, you know, it's it's really cool in the way that you can do you can do call-ins you can take customer comments you can add music and you can even like for us on our end re literally record your podcast and produce it all and distribute it and post it all within the app um, we've heard about this for a while we've kind of been testing and playing with it and we really think that this is going to be a valuable app both now and in the near future when we want to start doing live Q&A. We're going to be able to put together some really badass experiences for people just asking us questions or giving us suggestions on things we can do better. And for our clients down the road as well, being able to distribute content to them in an effective way on a platform that's really built to make all of this easy. So, um, you know, our experiment with podcasting and where we want to take it, we're still kind of learning and trying. This is a platform we really want to expand on and make use of. And I think we're the only horse training related podcast on here right now that covers training issues. So we're very excited about this opportunity. Thank you guys for joining us again. Uh, if you have questions or you want to, you know, show us some love on Facebook or you want to show us some uh <laughs> something other than that and suggest <laughs> things like hey guys you need to stop doing this or you need to do this better or whatever hit us up on facebook facebook.com slash lundahl horses we really appreciate it